Hey there, podcast listeners. We have a special treat for you today. Uh, about four times a year, we have what we call a kid-friendly sermon. Uh, it happens during school holidays. And basically, I pitch the sermon such that the kids really get the first half and uh, I, I make some extra comments to the adults at the end. It's an unusual kind of sermon, but it's one that seems to work for our congregation and I hope it's of benefit to you too. Anyway, here's the sermon. Let's pray and then we're going to come to God's word and I'm going to speak to the kids first of all. Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you very much for your good word to us. It has come down to us all through history and we get this wonderful message in our hands this morning and in our hearts we pray would you encourage us in it and challenge us as well because we know it is the word of God and that is always a confronting and challenging and interesting thing and we pray would you be at work in us this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Right, kids, it's Christmas. Now, I just need to get a fix on where all the kids are. Yes, I can see where you are. We're going to talk this morning about all the great things about Christmas, all the great things. In fact, we're going to talk about the greatest thing about Christmas this morning. Actually, let me start there. I'll just start there because the greatest thing about Christmas, it isn't how great it makes you feel waiting in bed this morning to be allowed out. It's, oh, come on, when do I get to go out? That's not the greatest thing about Christmas. The greatest thing about Christmas isn't all of the stuff that we get, um, as fun as that might be. The greatest thing about Christmas isn't even how much time we spend with great people in great places, eating great food until our great bellies don't feel so great anymore. That is not the greatest thing about Christmas. Let me tell you up front. The greatest thing about Christmas is how great Jesus is and was and always will be. But maybe, and here's what I want to talk about today, maybe sometimes we get muddled up about what the greatest thing about Christmas is. Yeah? Are you ready? Okay, to begin with, I've got some questions for you. Questions for you kids especially. Um, If you're not a kid anymore, you don't get to answer these. You can answer them quietly in your heart. But if you are a kid, whatever that means, you can pop up your hand um, when the time comes and I will point to you and then you can answer. Okay, that's how it's going to work. I've really got three questions. Let me tell you what they are um, up front uh, so that you know what they're about. I want to know about who the greatest people are that you're going to see today. I want to hear about what the greatest places are that you're going to go today or maybe tomorrow if you're doing Christmas things tomorrow and what are the greatest, thirdly, things or stuff or presents that you're looking forward to or enjoying already. Can you think of that? So let's start with which one? Let's start with people first. Let's talk about those. So I want you to think about, you know, most of us at Christmas, we get to see great people, people we really look forward to seeing. And I wonder if you are today. So here's the question. Who are the great people that you're going to see this Christmas? Think of anyone? I'll just, some of us are really quick and our hands go up. Others of us need a bit more time. So they give you a little chance to think. I'm thinking though of the kinds of people that when they come up to your house and when they're coming to your house, you push your face against the glass trying to see them. Oh, they're taking so long to get here. When are they going to get here? Those sort of people. Okay. You know, the, who are some of the great people that we're going to see? Yes, the twins. Your grandmother. Sorry. Your grandfather, excellent, uh, Christo. 
Grandparents. This is quite a, this is an encouraging one for some of us, isn't it? Uh, yes, the Triffitt kids. Nanny and Poppy. Excellent. Has anyone got someone who's great that you're going to see who's not a grandparent? Anyone can think of anyone? Noah. No. <laughs> Noah. Your cousins, excellent. Cousins exist as well. Okay, so great people. That'll do for now. Um, uh, let's keep moving. So great people. Um, let's talk about great places. That was the second p- word, wasn't it? Really great places. Is anyone visiting a really great place, a place you love to visit today? And it could be, it's allowed to be your place because maybe mum has been cleaning or what, maybe dad has been tidying this week, or maybe you have been pushing things into the cupboard, and, and now it's ready, and everything's ready. For, maybe your place is the great place. Yes, Sansom Gowers. Oprah and Omer's backyard. That is awesome. Um, anyone else? Uh, hang on, Krista, I've seen you already. There must be another child. All right, twins again. Ah, you're killing me here. That's great. Yes, some great places. Okay, so great Christmas people, great Christmas places. Now, what was the third thing I was going to talk about? What was it? Presents. Excellent. You're a little bit old for that, Mark. Yeah, anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, maybe to prevent boasting or feelings of inadequacy for us parents or um, uh, feelings of jealousy amongst us, I won't get you to call them out. Um, so we'll just... But here, think about it in your mind, in your heart at the moment. What are some of the presents that you're really looking forward to or waiting for, so excited, but just they're the greatest thing? Can you think of something in your own heart and mind? Okay. If you've got that in mind, so great people, great presents, great places... Come with me to Luke chapter 2 in our Bibles, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me. Um, and uh, because we're going to hear about the greatest, uh, the greatest presence and people and places way back in the, the time when the story of Jesus was. So Joseph and Mary and Bethlehem and mangers and stables and all of that stuff. So listen out for great people and great places and great um, presence back then. Luke chapter 2. It doesn't start, actually, with Jesus. Who does it start with? In those days, have we got it there, John? Ah. <laughs> then you're going to have to turn your ears on. Let's go. In those days, Caesar Augustus um, issued a decree. So, hang on, let's start with this. Who is Caesar Augustus? Who is this guy? It's on the screen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Let's pause there. Who is it? Let me tell you, Caesar Augustus was the greatest guy. Like, everyone knew his name. Everyone knew he was boss. And what does it say? When he says something, that's what issued a decree means, everyone in the whole Roman world hopped to it and they went and did what Caesar Augustus said. That's how much of a big deal Caesar Augustus was. Okay, so Caesar Augustus, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, help me out here. What's a census? Hands here. Only Christo knows. Oh, well, Christo. 
Yes, they count the people. Now, why, why would anyone want to count the people? Why would anyone want to fix on how many people there are? I'd like to see your hands. That's good, but I'm not going to let you answer it. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want you to imagine for a moment. Look around the room at all of the people here. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you were allowed, like it was in the rules, for you to go to everyone's pocket or everyone's handbag and take just a little bit of money out of each one. Can you imagine that? Look at how many people are in this room. Just a little bit from each one. You'd get quite a bit, wouldn't you? You'd get quite a bit. In fact, that would be quite a good Christmas present, really. If it was in the rules and you were allowed to do it, take a little bit of money from each person's pocket. Now, this is, this is not enough people, actually. Let's imagine that all the people from that street and that street and that street were here as well. They were invited and they could come and you could take a little bit from their pocket or a little bit from their hand. That would be even better, wouldn't it? No, imagine that it was all of Howrah. The whole suburb, all the people from all the houses and you could go and take a little bit of money and you got to keep it. No, a little bit bigger. Not just Howard, all of Hobart. No, all of the entire Roman world. Now we're talking. Okay, so the thing is, um, I reckon why Caesar Augustus was doing this was that he could take the greatest present of Christmas time for himself. It's called tax, kids. A little bit of money from each person's pocket, every man and woman's pocket, uh, for himself, the greatest present. Uh, and he got to keep it. Now, tax isn't all bad. Um, let me just say, tax is fine, so long as it's not taken by greedy people for greedy purposes. Anyway, that's another thing. Talk to your mum and dad about it later. <laughs> In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, skip down to verse 3, and everyone went to his own town to register. Great people in great places, well, Caesar at least gathering a great present for himself and the world is on the move. Um, uh, so, but keep reading because God... Um, as we keep going, God is coming up, uh, well, God is greater than Caesar. God was doing something great back then in the first Christmas. Um, and let's read how that happened. So Joseph, here we go. Hang on. So this is where God's getting really involved here. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth. Hmm. This is, um, it's not a great start, actually. So Joseph, I mean, Joseph's fine. But he's no Caesar, is he? I mean, when Caesar speaks, everyone moves. But uh, And Nazareth, well, actually, Nazareth's not even fine. Nazareth's kind of disappointing. It's tiny. It's a nothing town. Okay, not a great start. Maybe we can pick things up from here. So, um, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Oh, okay. To Bethlehem. Oh, that sounds interesting. The town of David. Oh, I like the sound of that. King David. That sounds, uh, that sounds more like it because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to, uh, married to him and was expecting a child. Hmm. So what we've got, we've got a great ish guy. Well, Joseph, he's not that great, but his grandpa was great. And they're in a great place, like it's the town of kings, so that's great. Um, and we're expecting really great things from this baby, because we know that's Jesus. But at the moment, he's just a baby. Here's the thing, if God's going to do something really great, like if he's going to do this great thing properly, so that everyone knows how great he is, 
What do you reckon the next verse needs to say? How would he need to turn things around, I wonder? Uh, First of all, I think we're going to need... Okay, so they're coming into Bethlehem. I think we're going to need crowds of people. That's what great people get. Crowds of people pressed up against the glass there in Bethlehem. Oh, he's taking so long to arrive, baby Jesus. Oh, this is taking forever. Wait, mum, dad, I can see him. Quick, stop everything. He's here. That's what the next verse should say, I would think. Secondly, we're going to need the best place. Now, as we've said, Bethlehem is fine. In fact, Bethlehem's good. Um, But let me ask you, where should this baby Jesus be born? So, think about it like this. If baby Jesus arrived, in fact, today, imagine that Joseph and Mary were coming to stay at your house tonight. Can you imagine that? Okay, so they're coming to your house. Whose room do you reckon they would get to sleep in? So who's going to have to sleep on the couch? Who's going to have to, you know, be out of their room so that Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus get the best room in the house? Who's got the best room in your house, do you think? Hands, maybe? Anyway? Yeah? You've got the best room. That's unusual because usually it's the mums and dads who get the best room in the Yeah, yeah. So usually it's the mums. Anyway, so someone's going to have to sleep on the couch and Jesus and and, and Mary and and Joseph, they're going to get the best room. That's how you'd think it should work. So faces pressed up against the glass in Bethlehem, people turfed out of their room so that Jesus gets the best room. Okay, this is how it should go. And then get all that ready and we're set for the greatest... Uh, Hang on, that's not not what happens. Okay, verse 6, let's read it. While they were there, so in Bethlehem, the time came, oh, notice that there's, there's no mention of faces pressed against glass. He's here, he's here, quick mum, dad. No, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she, Mary, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And then get this, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. What, what is a manger? Someone help me out here. Someone other than Christo, Yeah. Very much like this, isn't it? A trough that pigs would eat out of. Yes, like a basket. It's, it's, how they put the baby Jesus there? What happened to mum and dad's room? They put the baby Jesus in the trough? That's, that's one laugh. That's good. That's, can, can work with that. Uh, so it's like they came to your house tonight and they were told, sorry. You can't have mum and dad's room. In fact, you can't even have the kids' room. In fact, you can't even sleep in the house at all. What I can give you... Here, come outside. Come outside with me. No, come on out here. No, you're not in the house. Come out here. You can see the garden shed down the end there. Just wheel the wheelbarrow out. Pop the baby in there, actually, maybe. And you can sleep in there. That's kind of what it's like, isn't it? Do any of you have a cat? With one of those little, you know, baskety kind of things? A cat? Yeah, the baby can sleep in there, can't he? What about a dog? Anyone got a kennel? Anyone got a kennel? Just pop the baby in there, really. What about a guinea pig hutch? Someone must have a guinea pig hutch. Yes. Yeah, just, just tuck the baby Jesus in there. Are you serious? Well, that's what it's like, isn't it? You just get a feeding trough. Animals eat? No, shoo them away, put the baby in. That's not at all the great plan that we were hoping for. Now, it prompts the question, doesn't it? Why did God do it that way? Why did God do it that way? He could have done it anyway. Kids, do you know what I reckon? I reckon God is trying to show us two things 
and we'll, we'll close with these for the kids. I reckon God is trying to show us two things. Number one, that Jesus really truly is the greatest thing at Christmas. In fact, He is the greatest thing ever for all times and for always. Yes, He is God's King and He loves us and He is God with us. He would sleep in a manger. That is how much He loves us and and wants to be with us. He is the greatest present ever. But number two, okay, that was number one. Jesus is the greatest ever. Number two, God sent Jesus to a stinky animal shed to show us that to remind us that the great, big, shiny, dazzling, amazing things in our lives, they aren't always the most important things. They aren't always truly the greatest things in our lives. And uh, sometimes we need to remember that. In fact, the most expensive, fancy, um, uh, wonderful things aren't nearly as special as we go on about them and make them out to be at times. And kids and mums and dads um, and all grown-ups need to remember that at times. So here's my thought for you this Christmas. Make sure that Jesus, in your heart, in your day-to-day, in your family, uh, holidays ahead or whatever, make sure that Jesus is the greatest thing to you. Um, Even if everyone else forgets about him or seems to, you don't forget about him. He's the greatest person, he's the greatest place and he's the greatest present always and forever. So when our hearts or our, our tears or our hopes or our grumpiness get all muddled up in all sorts of things that aren't Jesus, make a fuss over great presents or people or places even today, as good as those things are, let's remember that we have something and someone who is so much better, so much greater and that's Jesus. Can I lead us in prayer? I have a couple of extra things to say to the grown-ups but not much. Let's pray together. It might help if we do hands together and and eyes closed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in our lives, we usually know who the greatest people are because they make a big deal of themselves. They make a lot of noise. Sometimes we try to make a big deal of ourselves. We usually know what the greatest things and presents and places are because they're expensive and special, we're told all about them, maybe we're not allowed to touch them or we can't afford them or we really want them. But God, our Lord Jesus is so great, yet in your wise plan, when he came, hardly anyone even noticed. God, in a way, that shows us how great he is, a great loving king for us, who loves us and loves our world, even when we're not paying attention, he loves us even when we've forgotten him. God, please help us to be people who pay attention to Jesus this Christmas. Attention and honour and praise. And not just today, but people who make a bigger deal of Jesus than we do of all the other stuff in our lives. Father God, please teach us to remember that your good and wise and saving plans for our world and for us, they're way greater than even going to the funnest places and enjoying the best stuff and looking really great in one another's eyes. Teach us of your greatness, we pray. Amen. Great. Let, oh, great. There I go. I can't get that word out of me now, can I? Um, grown-ups, uh, now, I'd just like to extend, okay, that, that one simple point, really in a couple of different directions for us, um, quite briefly, and I'd like to start with this. C.S. Lewis, right at the end of the Narnia Chronicles, he once put it like this, C.S. Lewis, you know, the Narnia Chronicles, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, he said this, he said, once in our world, 
A stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Think about that. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. And I guess I'd like to put it to you like this, because I think Christmas time is a time when we kind of reflect on the year that has been and what we've done with our lives and look, start to look ahead. Uh, we start to get that breathing space to be able to do that. So I want to ask, what are the things or the people or the priorities or the plans that have loomed larger in your life than the arrival of God's promised plan to save the world? Can you think of anything? What are the things that have loomed larger in your life? Loomed like the Caesar Augustuses of the world. What are the things, people, promises, uh, priorities, plans that have loomed larger in your life? Let me take this in two directions very briefly. Um, number one, firstly, um, sometimes, although not always, sometimes you can measure those things by counting up the things that have crowded out Jesus in your year. What has trumped Jesus? when it comes down to it practically in your life this year. Can you think of anything? Um, it staggers me, actually. Could we just take another look at verse 7? Verse 7, there it is. Um, just that last bit there. So she, Mary, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. This is the bit. Because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to say, are you serious? For a birthing mother, for a woman who's about to give birth to her firstborn and no one was turfed out for her to make room, was uh, Joseph's influence so limited, were they so disregarded and unimportant that no one would be turfed out to make room for these folks? To put it another way, who crowded out Jesus or what crowded out Jesus there in Bethlehem? Well, kind of everything. <laughs> And everyone, and I think the same thing happens in our lives, doesn't it? Um, James Montgomery Boyce, he puts it back on us, he says, so here's an application, do you have room for Jesus Christ? He says, we have a hymn that says, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee, but, says Boyce, is there <laughs> room in your heart for Jesus? Or is he, and are his claims crowded out? by other matters and we know what that's like don't we be it work be it holiday plans or sport that clashes with bible study consistently or church or whatever it is or just the house we know the things that crowd jesus out uh, figuring out how to express a priority for jesus that's not easy but i think we know how to spot it when he's been crowded out lastly last direction that i want to take this in secondly uh, let me go in a different direction back to where we started we began with Caesar. We began with the king of the world. We began in our mind's eye with glittering palaces and all of the power that when he flexes his arm, the entire world moves and is put into motion. And I guess I want to ask, could it be, friends, this morning that this coming year, as you look ahead to what lies ahead for you, that this coming year we resolve to spend our lives chasing less of the stuff that glitters and cherishing more of the stuff that matters, namely Jesus. Chasing less of the stuff that glitters and cherishing more of the stuff that matters. Chasing less of the approval, perhaps, of people who add nothing to your lives. Less of the wealth, perhaps, that only seems to sap our joy and our satisfaction in the chasing anyway. Less of the glory, perhaps, that consistently seems to set us up for a fall. 
Could we spend less of our lives this year not chasing, but cherishing? Cherishing the greatness of our God's saving work for us in Christ Jesus. Because I put it to you, if he is the kind of king who is content to come without fanfare, without pampering, without attention or wealth or resources, then perhaps he's the kind of king that we would do well to learn life from. Do well to sit at his feet and do well to follow him in faith. Could I lead us in prayer? And then we'll sing and then we're done. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, firstly, we want to confess before you that as we look back over this year, we confess that we're not the people that you'd have us be. Haven't lived with the priorities that you'd have us reflect. Indeed, we haven't even been the people that we wish we were on so many occasions. God in heaven, as we brought face to face with the humility and lowliness, the strange wisdom of your glory concealed in a stable in Bethlehem, we're reminded to our shame of our own obsession with how others see us and think of us and speak to us. We deeply desire for others to think that we're wonderful and together and our hearts and lives have risen and fallen very much by that barometer. God in heaven, how strange it is to our hearts to see true greatness content with lowly, humble circumstance. So teach us, Father, these strange ways of our Lord. Forgive us, please, our God, for our self-absorption, our self-obsession. And Father, yes, with today in mind, but with the year ahead in view, would you please set us on a different path this year, a better one, one with Christ as our guide and our Lord, our Saviour and our King. We ask it in His name. Amen.